Okay. Uh, welcome to SU Vibe, especially <laughs> heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. <laughs> We're on season five, episode 14, Ritual. Woof. Ritual. Woof. It was a good episode. Opening scene, uh, two park employees are picking up litter in the park. The older one is explaining how to fucking pick up trash to the new guy. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you see this? Pick it up. You see this? Pick it up. The guy's like, okay, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. So I just pick it up then? Yeah. I just pick up trash. Okay, yeah. So fucking young blood finds two bowls with blood in them, mm-hmm. along with wooden beads and a printed cloth. And he's like, you got to come check this out. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, it's probably sacrifices, animals or whatever. Young guy looks down the hill and he's like, mother of God. (laughs) (laughs) I also put that in my notes. Yeah. You're not on the fucking Starship Enterprise, dude. (laughs) You're fucking picking up trash in the park. Mother of God. But he sees a body. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's a crime scene, obviously. Corner Warner's there with SVU and CSU. The victim is a black male, seven to eight years old. His head, arms, and legs are missing. Stabler asks Corner Warner if she thinks it was a ritual killing. She thinks it may have been. The limbs were severed through the bone rather than at the joint, which is odd because it's easier to cut up a body at the joints. Yeah. Benson questions the older park employee. He didn't see anyone around when they were cleaning up. It's too cold, even for the homeless. And this dude is like sitting on the ground, staring off into nowhere. He's Mm -hmm. affected. Mm -hmm. He says he's found dead animals before, but not a body. And yeah, he's definitely shaken up. Corner Warner calls Benson Stabler back over. Stabler asks her if maybe the kid died of something else and this was like a funeral rite or something. But Corner Warner says there was blood clotting at the boy's neck, which means his throat was cut when he was alive. Holy shit. Little baby. Benson and Stabler are in Corner Warner's office. The time of death for the victim is around 12 hours prior to when he was found. He was fucking killed by bleeding out from his neck being cut, and then he was dismembered. Corner Warner thinks whoever did this was experienced based on the way they dismembered the body. It was all done methodically. The perp fucking scraped the flesh from the bone with a knife. Then the bone was cut in one swipe from like a butcher's cleaver or something big and heavy and sharp. The blood in the bowls matched the boys. Corner Warner's like, I've never seen anything like this before. And Stabler was like, what are you talking about? You've seen this shit all the time. She's like, not like this. The blood was drained from the body by hanging it upside down. You know how they do with like pigs and stuff. Yeah. Stabler's surprised that she's never seen anything like this. But I mean, what the fuck? Right. There is also a scar on the victim's abdomen that could be used to identify the victim, but it's not surgical. So there probably won't be a record, but maybe Stabler thinks the scar is from abuse so there could be a record of it corner warner doesn't think so because the child seemed healthy and well fed yeah yeah in the precinct the squad is working on leads stabler says there are no hits from missing persons going back three years but benson has info from the national center for missing and exploited children there's a list of four kids that are the same age and race as the victim but none of them have an abdominal scar craigan wants dna from the parents of these four missing kids just to start ruling shit out Munch got information that the candle found near the bowls of blood is the kind of candle used in Santeria. Toots has experience with Santeria from his time in narcotics, so he gives us a little bit of background. Mm-hmm. He said it was first practiced by slaves brought here from Africa, and slave owners forced them to convert to Christianity, so the slaves just put saint names on their gods to be able to continue practicing their own religion. Toots also used to deal with drug dealers from the Caribbean and South Africa that practiced these religions. He was like, oh, I got hexes put on me all the time. I found dead chickens in front of the precinct all the time. 
NBD. He tells the rest of the crew that Santeria stopped sacrificing humans about 100 years ago, which I'm like, oh, that feels so recent. But yeah. So then I looked into, I did so many. It's just, there's a lot of interesting history and a lot of interesting world religion information that I didn't know about. So I did a lot of reading, Mm. but I got this out of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Quote, Santeria practitioners worship Orikas, powerful, mystical, once mortal spirits that exist as a manifestation of Ola Dumer, which is God, the supreme being of the Yoruba religion. Orikas are the spiritual communicators or intermediaries between God and human beings because they believe that like people can't talk to gods because there's just like too big of a divide there. It's like we're not going to talk to divine gods. So there's this once humans, now these like deities that we speak to through them. But there was another thing that I read on study.com, quote, Santeria is based upon the development of personal relationships through divination, which is like telling the future, sacrifice, intonation, and mediumship. This happens between practitioners of the religion and the Orisha deities who provide their devotees with protection, wisdom, success. They are sources of guidance. I was just wanting to kind of give a base in case anybody didn't know. I didn't know a bunch of this shit, so anybody else? So Toots tells everybody all this shit. He's like, here's some information. I know it. There was dead chickens in front of the precinct all the time. And Craigan's like, cool, that's a lead. Great, moving on. The candle's label says Martinez Imports. So he wants Benny and Stabes to head over there and ask some questions. So Benny and Stabler go over to Martinez Imports to check out the store and get some information. At first, this guy's like, dudes, I got candles coming out the wazoo, just flying <laughs> off the shelves. I'm busy, busy, busy. Oh, but you're in luck. This is our new St. Cecilia. Come get them while they're hot. This guy was... <laughs> Sales, sales, sales. So this guy gets excited for a second to tell them about St. Cecilia, who was a saint that got decapitated for her refusal to worship false gods. But Benny's like, ugh, boring. And Stabler's like, I know, I'm Catholic. (laughs) Also, this guy, this actor, had a long-running role in the show Archie Bunker's Place in the late 70s, early 80s, which was a spinoff of All in the Family. I was like, Mm. I didn't even know that was a show that existed. It didn't do as well as like the Jeffersons. Like it didn't, it wasn't great. He's worked a lot since, but nothing big like that ever again, except that one time he was in an episode of Family Matters. I'm sure there's more things that are credible, but I don't care. Mm -hmm. I was like, Family Matters, you've made it. So he pulls up the information. This candle that he's got has been shipped to buyers located in three different cities, New Orleans, Miami, and New York. The New York location is at the Center for the Study of Santeria. Well, they funneled that really quickly. Boop, boop, boop. Mm-hmm. It was just funny because he was like, I don't know where these candles are. Where- well, you're in luck, actually. This one has a mark on it. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. He's like, these candles go everywhere. Within 30 seconds, he's like, here's one specific place that this could be. <laughs> and then they're leaving. And he's like, you sure you don't want a candle? Two for one. This guy was very <laughs> into the sales of his candles. I love that. Hey, be passionate about what you do. Do it. Yep. So at the Center for the Study of Santeria, Benson and Stabler are talking to Asante Odu. Femme. Holy shit. This guy mm-hmm. is extremely recognizable. He plays a government employee, cop, detective all the time. Call back. He voiced a character in Duckman, Private Dick, Family Man. Oh, shit. Yeah. But this guy, like, if you see his face, you're like, why have I seen you in everything I've ever watched? Yes, exactly. That's what I thought. He's upset about the headlines calling the murder a voodoo murder. He insists that mm-hmm. their religion is peaceful. The center buys the saint candles at cost and sells them to the members. So Stabler asks for a list of the members. 
And Odufeme is like, what in the private dick? Why? Benny tells him that his religion... What in the duck man private dick? (laughs) What in the private duck's dick? (laughs) Benny Benny tells him that his religion... Okay, you guys, you already know. This Mm -hmm. is going to be steeped in racism and bigotry and assumptions made about a culture that these people know nothing about. Right. So here we go. I feel like that's me giving an excuse for Benny being shitty, but it's not. Benny shitty just as shitty as everybody else in this episode benny tells him that his religion has a sketchy history regarding human sacrifice (laughs) and i love where this is about to go and it goes there odufeme goes oh are either of you catholic and omg stabler has been fucking summoned the only thing he is more than a dad is fucking catholic right so he comes over and he's like um yeah guy what's up and odufeme brings up eating the body and blood of christ in communion he's like does that mm-hmm. make you a cannibal and stabler's like huh, tradition which is what that is isn't the same as actually a sacrificing people odufeme wow. informs him that not only did the church make sacrifice illegal in the 1930s but the humane animal sacrificial practices that they do perform are deemed legal by the government. Fucking stabler. I fucking hate this. He goes, sir, I don't give a damn about your legal rituals. Of course you don't. Yeah. Because you don't truly want religious freedom in this country. You want Christian freedom. Yeah. That's some bullshit. Like for him to point out that what he does, what they do in their church is legal in our country. And then you want to shit on that. Yeah. Okay. I know. I hope you notice how calm I've been so far. Um, I have to cut out a lot of you going. <sighs> I've noticed oh. a lot of like major exhales and like where I go to pause because I think you're going to say something. And I'm like, no, she's just anger breathing. So she doesn't pass out. <laughs> so Odafemi refuses to give them a list of members without a court order. And Staves gets mm-hmm. fucking sassy. Oh, weird. Why would they be afraid of us if they're so innocent? They've got nothing to fear. Okay. Okay. That's like those people that when um, 9-11 happened and they were like, oh, we can legally start tapping phones. I don't know what the fuck that was called. And like, right when people were like, I got nothing to hide. I'm like, uh, it does not, that's not the fucking point. That's not the point. Odufeme gets rightfully huffy at this. Yeah, but you just let me know you're a fucking bigot with the power to persecute our people for practicing something you don't understand. So mm-hmm. bye. And politely but forcefully asks them to leave. And he's really mm-hmm. holding his shit together for how they're coming at him. Yeah, he was like, do you want me to show you the door or can you find it yourselves? That's the nicest get the fuck out of here that I've ever heard. Yeah. In the precinct, the squad's going over the interaction with Odufemi with Novak. Stabler says that the dude was definitely hostile, which he absolutely was not. You were. Yeah, he was upset, though, because they were in the store being kind of dicks about stuff. Kind of. They were being fucking dicks about stuff. And they were also like, we don't want to get a search warrant. Just give us stuff. And he's like, you know what? It's my right to have you come in with a search warrant for that. And they're like, oh, we trying to hide. You're being difficult. <laughs> right. <laughs> you ruined our raid. <laughs> yeah. So Novak agrees with me because she says, yeah, I'd be hostile too if you accuse my religion of child sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Novak tells them that they need probable cause before they can ransack the center and reminds them that the candles didn't necessarily come from New York. It could be from Miami or New Orleans. Mm-hmm. They're fucking arguing with her and she's like, bros, I told you I need more. I just feel bad for the fucking ADAs in the show. Yeah. They say that not a whole lot of the kid's blood was found at the park. So the perp needed a place to hang the kid upside down to drain the blood. 
which is fucked. They asked Novak to help them out. And she's like, look, you guys need to fucking canvas for a witness that has a statement that supports this fucking theory. I told you I need more. So now Benson and Stabler are at the Kern Street Apartments and they're talking to this. Is that Kern? (laughs) (laughs) How did I not think of that? Oh, my God. I thought you might. (laughs) So now Benson and Stabler are speaking to an older woman who lives near the center. The first words out of her mouth is, I don't want to sound prejudiced, but which means she's about to say something fucking super prejudiced. It also means that she's fucking white. Yeah. She says it sounded like voodoo to her. Loud music and drums. She's concerned about young people being exposed to that religion. Oh, weird. What about fucking Christianity? You stupid fucking bitch. What do you mean? Okay. I just made a little note that said, oh, it's just awful what they expose them to. They should tell them there's a man they can't see that loves them and they're all good because he let his son get murdered. But if you don't believe in him, you'll be set on fire for the unforeseeable future. Also, don't be gay. (laughs) Right. The hypocrisy Hypocrisy. in the whole. It's just it's just it's unfamiliar to me. So it's bad. Right. She says she's seen young children coming and going from the center as late as 10 p.m. on school nights. (gasps) She saw a whole group of children at the center last Monday and said they weren't older than eight. And then says, quote, involving kids and stuff like that, it's a crying shame. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God. You mean you mean youth group? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't even know what you're fucking talking about. OK. Munch and Toots speak with a guy at a restaurant near the center. He says the center. Pretty weird stuff going on in that place. I also typed that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Pretty weird stuff going on in that place. He said he heard shrieking coming from the center the other night while he was closing. He thought it was an animal. They usually bring in chickens and goats. But when he saw this story in the paper, he was like, must have been them. They must have done this. Mm. And I'm like, wow. Must so basically everybody that they're going to talk to, it's all going to be fucking racist shit because nobody knows what the fuck's going on. Right. And then anybody so that is aware of it or knows about it, they're the ones acting sketchy. Yeah. So what is it? You're going to talk to an informed person or you're going to talk to an uninformed person and you're going to get misinformation, you assume, from both? Anyway, we get to somebody who I fucking love in a little bit here. Right. So cut to Novak trying to get a warrant to search the center from Judge Rebecca Steinman. She only shows up on SVU this episode, but is a crossover from Law & Order Regular where she appeared in eight episodes as this judge. She was also hmm. in Pet Cemetery. Edward Scissorhands, The Sopranos, Doubt, and a big old pile of episodes of The Blacklist and like 70 other things. Wait, but was, back- she the mom? was she the mom in Pet Cemetery? I don't know. Huh. So back to the scene. Novak's walk and talk is more like a sprint and speak as she's trying to keep up with this busy judge. She was kind of chasing after her and I came up with sprint and speak sprint and I kind and of hated it. I like But that. I put it in anyway. I like it. <laughs> Thanks. I think that's just because you're very supportive. <laughs> I tell you when I don't like things, though. You do. But sometimes you say the things you like are stupid, so I don't don't know what to believe. (laughs) (laughs) So the judge says what we've been bitching about for the last few minutes. Suspicious behavior is not enough for a warrant, she says. She Mm -hmm. says. She also says that it's not weird that someone saw a bunch of kids going into the center since they hold regular youth classes. Durr. Mm -hmm. But Novak's like, oh. Hold on. We've got a statement from a witness. She said that that night she heard blood curdling screams. And the judge goes, yeah, that was reported by an elderly white woman. I love that this elderly white woman can recognize the possible bias of another elderly white woman. Like this is um, it feels before her time. But that's just because I think anything before today is like ancient (laughs) history. This may as well have been the 50s. 
as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. She then asks for the nationality of the other witness they talked to. That guy was Latino, by the way, but Novak doesn't like the judge's insinuations. Girl, sit down. Racism is fucking everywhere, all the fucking time. She's like, so our witness is incredible because she's white? And it's like, I mean, that's a factor. It's definitely a factor. Novak goes into detail about the scene of this poor kid's murder, including that the candle found near his body came from the Santeria Center. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that makes the judge go, okay, fine, that could actually possibly hold some water. I'm going to give you the warrant, but I hope this doesn't turn into a fucking witch hunt. And I Mm -hmm. truly appreciate her hesitation. Yeah. Back at the center, CSU and SVU are searching the place. Forensics tech Ryan Tasty Rainbow Alharan thinks the blood... thinks the blood they found on the floor is from the chickens they found in the garbage. Stabler comes in hot, bitching that he can't find the member list and makes a comment about Odufeme possibly destroying the list. Odufeme is like five feet away and was minding his goddamn business till Stabes gets to push him buttons. He tells them that if they knew anything about Santeria, they wouldn't think their members murdered the boy. He explains to them, okay, this murder was near a lake. The lake is ruled by Yamaya, who is an Orisha or Saint Stabler. Mm -hmm. She's the mother and protector of all children. To kill a child in her name would be blasphemous. Stabler finally decides to treat Odufeme as much of an equal as he possibly can. Don't get your hopes up. Mm -hmm. But he calmly suggests that maybe they're looking for a heretic. Odufeme's like, I mean, maybe there are places in Africa that still sacrifice, but not here, dude. So as he goes into it a little more, he tells detectives that there are a few immigrants from West Africa that are members at the center. But he's like, these are educated people, not peasants or farmers, implying that those are the people, the demographics that would possibly engage in a sacrifice like this, like really old shit. Mm. And those are his words. Right. Stabler threatens Odufeme with daily visits from animal control and the health department until they get the member list. So Odufeme literally just pulls a piece of paper out of his back pocket and hands it over. And as he's giving it to him, he calls him on exactly what they're fucking doing to him. And he's like, this is blackmail, by the way. Here's the list. And they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, duh. It's like one of our favorite little stinker ways of getting what we want. Okay. <laughs> little stinkers. A couple of stinkers. Where's a couple of little stinkers? Now give us that list. <laughs> As Stabler's pulling the shit that we're seemingly okay with, Benson gets a call from Corner Warner and they need to go over and talk to her. Boop, boop, boop. Medical examiner's office. Corner Warner tested the chemicals the victim was exposed to to try and find where the victim was from. So this is like test in their body and their bones. She says that each geographical area on earth has its own chemical signature. The report mm. back on the hair sample let her know that this child had only been in New York City for about four weeks. The victim's bones had trace levels that matched him to a specific location in the world. She dramatically sits down at the computer and pulls up the entire ass continent of Africa, but it's like a colorful classroom map. It doesn't, it's not like sit down at my technology computer and I'm going to show you lab results it popped up a fucking carmen san diego backdrop (laughs) map (laughs) of africa and then stabler's like could you be more specific so she's like tapity tap 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 and then another silly little map of nigeria pops up i just thought it was super dumb and extra like they didn't need a yellow map with blue rivers on it to like show us it was a kindergarten map it wasn't necessary but these but these are these are the little details we love about svu though Yeah. She thinks that this boy had lived his entire life in Benin City, Nigeria. Benson thinks that he wasn't reported missing because he was brought to New York to be sacrificed. Oh, my God. 
Mm-hmm. At the precinct, Benson and Stabler are doing a little walk and talk and go over the new findings with Kragen. Stabler tells them that the center had no new parishioners from Nigeria, so it rules them out. Plus, all the parishioners' kids are accounted for. They're going to check with immigration to see if the boy is on file. So now, Benson and Stabler are at the Immigration and Customs Enforcement place. A dude with no neck, <laughs> by the way. They're like walking with him. He just has no neck. His like collar is up to here. He's really intense. I liked him. (laughs) A dude with no neck tells Benson and Stabler that that they get about 200 immigrants per month from Nigeria. The month the victim should have arrived in the U.S., there were about 10 children about his age that came through immigration and they are all accounted for. So the boy must have come over illegally. The guy tells him that he isn't surprised the victim was there illegally. The sale of humans is the third most profitable illegal moneymaker in the U.S. Gross. In the U.S., not even in the world, in the United States. Stabler was like, yeah, in the world. He's like, no, the U.S. Here. Here. I'd like to know what it is now. Probably higher. He tells them that 15,000 kids are trafficked into the U.S. each year. A lot of them are from Africa. He tells them that a consulate named Kima Mabuda is passionate about stolen children, so they got to go talk to her. I fucking love this lady, dude. She is a get. This is Erica Alexander, producer, director, writer, activist. She played Max in 118 episodes of Living Single, a very slept on show mm, by I love that show. anybody outside of the black community. She was Pam Tucker in 39 episodes of The Cosby Show. She was on Insecure, fucking awesome show, an episode of Suits. She played Detective Latoya in Get Out. Oh. Mm -hmm. She's most recently been in Wu-Tang, The American Saga on Hulu, which is on my list of binges that I need to get to. Hmm. Okay. Benson Stabler at the consulate talking to Kima Mabuda. Okay. She tells them that they have a population in Nigeria that possibly performs human sacrifices, but she's not sure. She goes over the info she has on how and why children are trafficked from Nigeria, Albania, and other countries, and then brought to the U.S. and Europe for the slave trade. Some of these kids are sold to smugglers by their own families for shit like a TV set. Mm -hmm. Can you fucking imagine? I just can't. That kind of (sighs) poverty is heartbreaking. Yeah. Kima is able to search records for missing people, and there are no official reports that match the victim. But two days ago, there was a phone call from a young woman that called in about her missing brother named Ajani. But the woman hung up before they could get any more info. They want the phone records, and she's hesitant, but she agrees to give them the phone records only if they give her their word that the findings will only be used for the investigation. And Stabler's like, yes. (laughs) He's like, yes. (laughs) He was very intense. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love how like in Kraken's office, he's like, she knows we don't give a shit about their government shit. They're not important. Right. You know what I mean? Oh my God. In Kragen's office, Kragen is gagged that the consulate agreed to give the phone records to them. And Munch has got me in here agreeing with him again because he says half the population of Nigeria is Muslim. Do you think our government would let them take a peek at our phone records? Mm-hmm. So appreciate the shit. Mm-hmm. Stabler, Mabuda knows we're not interested in their state secrets. Sure, Jan. Sure, youngest but most powerful country in the world. Here, we brought you these blankets. Here, come to this peaceful <laughs> dinner we're having. Okay. Right. So Benny walks in. The squad splits up the eight calls that were made around the time the call-in question was made to the consulate. So there's eight calls to follow up on and there's Mm -hmm. two teams a couple of yeah (laughs) a a couple of people doing it each person has two calls to make so it's going to take what 35 seconds that phone call math was very important thank you munch and toots make the first stop in a very nice neighborhood 
A housekeeper mm -hmm. answers the door and says the owners of the house aren't available. Excuse me? I said behind everybody, who's that little girl hands and knees scrubbing the fucking floor? Oh, they also notice her. When they ask the woman at the door if they know anything about a boy named Ajani, oh, the young little girl pops her head up. Toots asks what the little girl's name is and the woman gets all Huey Dewey and Louie's Aunt Gertie and she's like, I have to go. And she tries to close the door. Oh no. Do you know what I'm yeah. talking about when I say Huey yeah, Dewey and Louie's yes. Aunt Gertie? Okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they, so instead of letting the door close in their face, they push their way in and Munch is like, you want to go to jail, bitch? We're going to go talk to this kid. <laughs> I'm like, is this little girl enough for probable cause to enter the house? I have no idea. I don't know. They decide that she is. Mm -hmm. Toots asks the young girl what her name is and she doesn't answer him. He tells her it's okay and asks her if she called the consulate about her brother. She nods her head yes and tells him her name is Naima and asks them if they found her brother. Toots tells her they're going to bring her someplace safe so they can talk more. This is this girl's first credited role, by the way. She goes on to be in a good amount of big stuff like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Orange is the New Black, and The Big C. She's currently a recurring character, Dory, in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So this is like her breakout, and I thought she was incredible in this episode. Yeah, she was very, very good. At the Administration for Children's Services, Naima talks to Toots while they are being watched by Kima and Stabler on the other side of the glass, not the one that Cragen lives in, but like a different not one. Not Craig's. So we're just going to move on. Or Gabe's gonna yell at me and be like, that's not right. That's not how you do that. That's not how you do that. Thank yeah. you for saying that. Keep going. So this poor gal, Naima works from 6 a.m. until midnight and can't leave unless the quote rich people are with her. She heard about her brother when the woman of the house was watching the news. Reporters gave out the information about the scar on the victim's abdomen, and it was just like the one her little brother Ajani had gotten from climbing a tree. Naima <sighs> tells Toots she was brought to America by two men that came to her village and told her mom they would take her to a wonderful school in America. And then her little brother begged to go too. The kids were kept in a big room with no windows and lots of beds and people would come to look at them. And I'm like, was it a warehouse? Was it a basement? The woman that took Naima, Mrs. Lehman, didn't take Ajani with them. Toots goes to talk to Stabler and Kima. Stabler thinks that they can get the Laymans, the people who bought Naima, an unlawful imprisonment. Kima says that they're going to try to find the kids' mom and ship Ajani's body home for burial. <laughs> Munch found out that the housekeeper at the layman's house, you know, Huey and Dewey's aunt or yeah, whatever, Gertie. says that the husband is out of town and the wife is at a charity event in town, of course. And Kima says, I guess she doesn't know that charity begins at home. I love the way that they're fucking arrest everybody in this. Mm -hmm. They just do it. <laughs> okay. So we're at the charity event. Toots and Stabler show up to this fancy flower committee thing. Someone's <laughs> at a podium thanking different people. Everybody's got big hats on. It's super stupid. It's super Toots. stupid. Yeah. Toots and Stabler go to Mrs. Lehman's table and shout <laughs> that they're arresting her for slavery. Everyone is clutching their pearls. Yes. Oh, my God. It's amazing. My favorite is when they walk in. It's just like they hold up this photo really hard and then drop it and it's this woman's photo my only notes because it was your scene was oh my god the, the pick pop up haha -ha. they arrest her so loud 
<laughs> yeah. So now we're in the precinct. Of course, Langdon is Layman's lawyer. He tells the detectives that the arrest was a misunderstanding. And Stabler's like, um, you have a fucking slave, dude. Mm. What? Mrs. Layman calls Naima a domestic. And Stabler says, well, that's not what Naima says. Mrs. Layman says, well, she's a liar and I should have fired her. But I felt sorry for the poor girl. Oh, God, this lady. This lady calls the people that work at her house the help. Like, I fucking hate this lady. Yeah, I'd shit in her pie for sure. <laughs> yeah, dude. Langdon says, Mrs. Lehman opened her home to a disadvantaged girl and provided her with a job. That's not a crime. By the way, this girl's like seven. Mm-hmm. She's a little kid. If you took a disadvantaged kid into your home, you get them friends and an education and yeah. like feed them and they have playtime and like you it- Annie that shit, not Cinderella. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. You Annie that shit, not Cinderella. Oh. Mrs. Lehman says that Naima was referred to her by a day laborer that was working at her house, but she doesn't remember his name. Like, it's not important to her. Stabler says, well, maybe you'll remember how much you pay her. (sighs) Mrs. Lehman doesn't fucking pay Naima. She only provides her with, quote, a room and board. I fucking hate you, lady. Yeah, she's like, I give her so much room and board. (sighs) That's like so much. A uniform. They ask how Naima got into the country. And Langdon's like, that isn't Mrs. Lehman's concern. I don't, she doesn't know. Mrs. Lehman is told that she has a slave and harboring an illegal immigrant is still a crime too. And then she like smugly says, half of Park Avenue is guilty then and fucking smiles. Oh my God. And Toots is pissed and is like, look, you fucking dumb bitch. I don't give a damn about what you and your friends do. He tells her that unless she cooperates with him, she's getting 10 fucking years in prison. I'm like, that's it. Mm -hmm. And she's not going to like the dress code in the joint, in the clinker. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If she doesn't fess up, they won't help her with the feds because she's going to get fucking spanked by the feds. She's fucking not talking, though. Langdon says, what What can we offer you? Stabler wants the name of the person who sold Naima to her. Layman is pissed and she's like, I did not buy Naima. Stabler is counter pissed. Yeah. He says, he says, I'm done with this shit. That person is walking free. You're going to prison. Fuck off. He opens the door. There's an officer waiting and he's like, Booker. <laughs> poor dopey officer's like, huh? <laughs> what he's like i was just i was gonna go get a warm-up on this coffee here at just... <laughs> yeah i was just passing by i don't know what's going on Ling's like wait 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 marion and immediately she's like all right i paid a fee but she doesn't remember the guy's name and his phone number is disconnected stabler slowly says where did you get naima finally she's like okay i got it from a warehouse in long island city like you dumb bitch just like fuck off Fucking intense music time. Benny and Staves and a whole ass SWAT team are walking with the property owner to the building. The property owner, who to me seems put out that he had to get shoes and a jacket on, tells detectives, a guy who rented a warehouse paid cash for a six month lease. Never got his name. I don't know. They don't run credit checks if they don't get the money. They just lock the unit. Okay. It's just storage space. (laughs) They pay, they stay. They don't pay, we padlock it. Auction the contents. Here we are. Gets to the door. (laughs) It's locked, but the owner's like, this guy's paid up for another month. This isn't my lock. Okay. They cut the lock. They enter the building, and it's pitch fucking black in there. Flashlights. They find so many children chained to beds, living in the dark. Toots tells the kids that they're there to help them. Cut to a tiny bit later. They've got lights on the kids. They've got blankets on them. Police 
lights are just like everywhere outside and the detectives are going through talking to these kids. They're showing the kids Ajani's photo. One of the girls mm-hmm. recognizes Ajani and says that he cried when they took him away from his sister, but she doesn't remember who took him. When people would come, they would make the kids turn around. They would look at their hands to see how strong they were. One boy that Benny was talking to, whose name is Quase, said that he was friends with Ajani. They slept next to each other. This fucking kid, I knew I recognized him as soon as I saw him. He plays Leonard in School of Rock. He's also Lil Pootie in Pootie Tang. And he's also the kid from this. He's like in one scene of Big Daddy that has one of my favorite quotes in it. So Adam Sandler's talking to this group of kids on the playground. And he's like vetting Julian's friends. He's like, you who's so good, especially with a little rum in it. And this kid, this is the kid that goes, what's rum? This is after the other kid was like, I have a belly button. But this kid's like, what's rum? And Sandler goes, you don't know what rum is? And the kid goes, Rumpelstiltskin? And Sandler's satisfied with that answer and goes, Rumpelstiltskin's a good man. So are you guys. Stay clean. Stay focused. Stay strong. Frankenstein, have fun with your friends. What is that from? It's from Big Daddy. Oh, yeah. I remember saying that to John when we were dating and being disappointed that he doesn't quote as hard as I do. Because I was like, Mm -hmm. Frankenstein, have fun with your friends. And he's like, okay. And I was like, (laughs) nobody ever gets it when I say it. Yeah, I wouldn't have. Anyway, I've emotionally checked out of this scene for long enough. This kid, Quase, tells Benny he remembers that a nice white man who brought them candy took a Johnny, and he remembers that a Johnny had a doll from home. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> In the precinct, the squad speculates that the person holding the kids captive left them for dead when he saw the story about a Johnny being killed. Toots starts to theorize that the Santeria ritual was a cover for the trafficking of a Johnny as a sex slave. The unknown perp could destroy evidence of sex crimes by covering it up with ritual. He also knew mm. about a Johnny's doll, so Benny thinks he may have studied African folklore. Cregan wants them to go back to the center and ask Odufeme if he remembers selling a candle to a white man. Toots is going to talk to Naima about the doll Johnny had with him from home. At the ACS Children's Center, Naima tells Toots that the doll wasn't actually a doll. It's an Ikenga. Their mom gave one to Naima as well. They're for protection. She has hers in a little pouch her mom made for her, and she made a pouch for Ajani as well. Her great-great-grandfather actually carved the dolls for them, and she points out the special marking he does on all of his work. And I'm like, that looks like foreshadowing. Mm. And it was. Naima says mm. she's going to be placed with a foster family and is being well taken care of, but she wants to go home to her mom. Yeah. Toots updates her that they haven't been able to find her mom yet. The mom's neighbors told the cops that mom went to Lagos looking for Naima. So Naima gives Toots her Ikenga for good luck to help find her mom. So Benson and Stabler are now at the center for the study of Santeria. Odafemi says there are white Santeria followers all over the city, but none at that particular center. He does remember an event they had with local artists where some white people bought some items like carvings and statues, possibly candles, who knows? He checks the log. He found someone that bought two statues in a case of St. Cecilia candles. The name oh. is Maggie Shea. Hmm. Mm. Intriguing. And I do love a good intrigue. <laughs> <laughs> Benson Stabler are talking with Maggie Shea. She was in the staircase. Oh. Mm-hmm. Wait. Not the documentary. They made like a series about it. I don't think I saw the series. So I'm like, why was she in the documentary? <laughs> She's she like, was, I the, was owl. the owl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love you so much. I love you. (laughs) 
Uh, okay. So she says she buys a lot of stuff and is always looking for, quote, primitive art. And I'm like, fucking what? Ooh, it gets worse. Yeah. She says she bought the candles and burns them at the gallery and some at home. They were cheap and she likes the way they smell. That is the most, ugh, the white of it all. I know. It's just like, I don't know anything about it. They're cheap and they smell good. Ritual. The worst thing, the worst thing is like she's an African studies like yes. person. Like, that's her. the best you've got yeah then she's like why the fuck are you guys asking me about my fucking candles stabler's like oh it's just some investigation i don't know we're talking to lots of people about who bought candles no big deal they ask where she was on monday or tuesday she says she was in ghana on a buying trip but she came home early because she found like an awesome artist and didn't need to be there any longer toots finds an ikenga on her desk he wants to know if he can buy it she's like oh it's not for sale it's a welcome home gift from my husband Mm. And it is very similar to Naima's. She mm. says he got it at a flea market where a lot of Africans sell tribal objects. God, I just don't like the way she talks. No. <laughs> I just don't. Toots asked for her husband's number saying that he would like to know who he got it from because his wife would love it. Lies. He's oh, lying. Lies. She writes down her husband's number. His name is Alan. He's an art history teacher at Hudson University. Old H.U. Mm, little stinkers. Oh, they're being such little stinkers. They are. They're a couple of stinkies. <laughs> Stinky stinkers. <laughs> a couple of silly goose. Silly geeses. Silly geese. Whatever. Now we're at <laughs> H.U. Fucking Hudson University. I had to work it out. Yeah. Now we're at the Hudson University. Benson and Stave speak with Alan, who, to me, is that guy from Lost and this other great show I watched called Evil, which is Ugh. amazing. You should watch that. This is Ben Linus. Ben Linus mm -hmm. from Lost. He's in a bunch of other stuff. Person of interest, evil. But listen. Evil is amazing. He will never not be a bad guy to me. Okay? Yeah, he's always a bad guy. Also yeah. in this scene, he says, my wife, like Borat. So... <laughs> What does a gift for my wife have anything to do with the police investigation? He He's wearing that green swimsuit thing that Borat wears, but it's under his clothes. He doesn't understand how a present for his wife would involve a police investigation. Stabe's like, oh, I can't discuss it right now. You know, it's, it's investigation. You run like a guy who still does impressions of Borat. <laughs> Benson asks if he knows a lot about African art, and he's like, mm, no, my specialty is Tibetan sand paintings. And I, I, I wrote, ha ha. <laughs> Just because it's like, shut up. <laughs> like, shut up. Just shut up. Benson asked him if he knew how valuable the doll was. Alan says he didn't know how valuable the Ikenga was when he bought it, but the guy who sold it to him said it was some sort of tribal symbol. When asked if he would recognize who sold it to him, he said he would. Then he's like, do you want to go back to the flea market on Saturday if you're available? And they're like, oh, that's great. That's a great idea. And it's it's already like sounding shifty. Mm -hmm. He then goes on to assume this investigation is about smuggling artifacts, and he thinks that that shit should be fucking stopped. He's very pro getting the Elgin marbles back to Greece. Yeah. A bunch of shit they didn't ask him about. Yeah. Back in the precinct. Immediately, Sam was like, bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> As Stabler's sticking Alan's pickup on the case board, he's dad mumbling about Elgin Marbles. My ass. This is our guy. He's as slick as they come. I agree, Stabler. And this is also where I picture Stabes mowing the lawn in a tank top, talking to himself. <laughs> and Kathy looks out the window as one of their 35 kids asks, who's daddy talking to? And Kathy replies, I'm not sure, Dickie, but... 
whoever it is, they're in trouble. So they think... Elgin marbles my ass. <laughs> Elgin marbles my fucking ass. You're our guy. They think that Alan got Ajani to sexually abuse him while his wife was away for two months, then killed him when he found out she was coming home early and used the fake ritual to cover it up. He kept the Ikenga as a trophy. Mm. Toots tells them that Naima keeps her Ikenga in a beaded pouch and wonders where Ajani's pouch is. Mm-hmm. And Benson goes, that's why God invented search warrants. She's going to go get one for the Shay's house and for Alan's office. And since I'm a curious little caterpillar, I looked up the origin of search warrants because God didn't invent that shit. <laughs> Prior to colonization, British law allowed English authorities to enter people's homes to search, arrest, or execute them if ordered by the king. Okay, so when the British colonized the U.S., lawyer James Otis convinced settlers to not allow these writs to be a part of the new laws. John Adams, this is only going to take me a second. John Adams backed it super hard and said that it was fucked up. And when we got independence from the British, we had to have strict guidelines in place to prevent that from happening, i.e. the Fourth Amendment, which prevents American citizens from being unlawfully searched and seized. Okay. Mm -hmm. But tell that to Giuliani and the racial profiling stop and frisk shit that he pulled, but I can't Mm -hmm. spiral anymore. Amend the Constitution Mm -hmm. for so many reasons. Is that a soapbox? Maybe a mini one? Bingo! Join the Facebook group if you want that to make sense. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that so much. I did too. At the Shea residence, sweet, sweet Kyle didn't find any physical evidence, but he's not ruling out that it's possible the cleanup job wasn't immaculate. Stabler mm-hmm. calls Toots. We got diddly, you, and we travel like Mike TV and Willy Wonka through the phone to Toots and Allen's office at Hudson <laughs> University with Munch doing their search. He replies to Stabes, so far zip dip doodle, but we'll keep you posted. Hang up with no goodbye. What is happening? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you zip dip doodle. <laughs> I don't know. It was, it's getting closer to the end and this is when we get weird when we're typing. Maybe. <laughs> Munch finds a book with information on Santeria in it. Mm. Shay's research assistant brings them a key to a filing cabinet. Oh, she is fresh meat, none the wiser. She offers to help. She's like, hey, I'm sure anything that you guys need, he would love me to share with you. And Munch is like, actually, yeah, um, we're looking for this beaded pouch. And she goes, why didn't you say that in the first place? He gave it to me as a present. Here, it's in my backpack. And they take it like, holy shit. thanks we have so much time for lunch now (laughs) she's like cool see ya bye have a good day i'm so glad i could help i'm gonna tell alan all about this later he's gonna love it i might get a raise So Alan is in the middle of giving a lecture. Munch and Toots go in. He sees them kind of walking towards him and he like pauses. Mid fucking lecture, they fucking arrest him for murder super loud. Mm. They're like, you're under fucking arrest for the fucking murder of Johnny in front of the whole class. And I love it. Mm-hmm. Ugh, their arresting techniques are just great. This yeah. episode. <laughs> this episode. <laughs> Right. Benson and Stabler are in an interview room with Alan. He's being questioned. Alan says he doesn't need a lawyer because he doesn't even know why the fuck he's there. Stabler shows him the pouch. And Alan says, yeah, the Ikenga I gave to my wife was in the pouch. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid. Stabler says it's from Ajani and his sister's matching Ikenga. Their mom made the pouches. Alan says he doesn't know Ajani. Alan totally sticks to his story about getting the Ikenga and the pouch from a street vendor and says, that dude's probably the killer. Why are you with me? You should go find him. And Stabler's like, oh yeah, it's probably all in a coincidence. You just happened to buy an artifact that was the same as the dead boy's sister and your wife just happened to buy candles that were right next to his body. Sure, bud. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, super weird, I 
get it, but yeah, I mean, mm, mm, mm. Hmm. Nope. Stabler asks him why the house was covered in bleach, and he says he hired a cleaning service when he found out his wife was coming home early. He's like, I didn't want her to come home to a bachelor pad. Okay, round glasses, you <laughs> don't do anything bachelory. No, relax. Stabler kind of throws a chair around a little bit, kinda. Yeah, kinda, just a little bit, a little bit. He a little bit throws a chair across the room. Yeah, and fucking tells him what he thinks. I transcribed the entire... Do it. I want you to do it. ...thing that he said, because it was so badass. Do it, do it, do it. He gets fucking nose-to-nose with Ben Linus from Lost, who doesn't blink at all, and goes, I'll tell you what I think, pervert. I think your wife surprised you by coming home early, so you had to get rid of a Johnny fast, but you couldn't risk dropping him off somewhere because he might be able to finger you. So you murdered him, and you made it look like a religious ritual. You can't hide from me behind your fancy education. I smell you. You're nothing but a skell who gets his rocks off screwing little boys. The only thing different that I said is Stapler is two blocks from Alan's face. <laughs> <laughs> And fucking little turtle Alan is staring hard behind these like oddly small round glasses, not fucking making a face or anything. He's so good at being a bad guy. He's really awesome in evil as well. I cannot promote evil. It's scary. It's really scary. That's the only reason I can't watch it. I can't do I can't do super scary. Like supernatural scary. Yeah. Any kind of scary. I'm not into any kind of scary. I'll just I'll rewatch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. In the precinct, Maggie is being told about her husband's arrest. She thinks this is fucking absolutely insane. Of course. She tells them that her husband is not a fucking mm-hmm. child molester or a killer. Benson shows her the two Ikenga that were given to Naima and her brother, Ajani. Maggie looks surprised. Maggie's in denial and says that there could be dozens of Ikenga like those. Benson's like, do you fucking really believe this? You are an expert after all. And she fucking knows. Like, you're an expert and you fucking suck at being an expert, first of mm-hmm. all. But she fucking knows. And you can see it in her right. face. Benson points out the similarities and shows the pouches to Maggie. Oh, the similarities as in their mm-hmm. great great grandfather who puts a specific mm-hmm. marking on the Ikenga he made. Yeah. Mm. Both pouches were handmade by Naima and Ajani's mom. Maggie starts to cry and says, so they could carry around the protectors. Like she fucking knows, dude. This is her life's work. She knows. Yeah. And she still calls it primitive fucking art. Fuck off, dude. Like, no. I, I don't know anything about the candles. They smell good. They're cheap. It was like between those and these cute ones I found in the Target clearance <laughs> section. But I was like, I like Africa. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why is she Ralphie from fucking Simpsons? Dude, she's probably all like smug about it too when people talk about like race relations shit. She's probably like, oh, I know stuff because I am a white lady that knows stuff about stuff. So she tells Benson all the details of Monday. In the evening, she was in London and she called Alan. She told him that she would be home early and he snapped at her. He told her that he needed more notice because how was he supposed to get the house ready for her in 12 hours? When she asked him why he was angry, he kind of calmed down and was like, I'm sorry. And it made her think he was having an affair. Benson shows Maggie the bowls and other items from the false ritual site in the park. Maggie recognizes the candles as one that was missing from the case she bought. She had asked Alan about it, but it was like, whatever. Benson asks about the bowls and Maggie's like, I, can't, I fucking can't do this. And Benson tells tells her that if she doesn't tell her what's going on, another kid could die. Maggie says the bowls were in her inventory storage room. The night she called from London, Alan had asked her where she kept the key to the room. The room is in the basement under the gallery. The music's getting fucking swelly. (sighs) 
cut to the basement. CSU and detectives are searching this inventory room. Mm -hmm. They find blood with a trail of it leading to a crate. The crate says, shipped to Alan Shea, Tibetan Research Center, Kathmandu, Nepal. Mm. Toots opens it, jumps back, and gasps. And he just tells Munch, call for a medical examiner. Back at the precinct, Cragen comes in to where Alan's being questioned. And Alan's like, when do I get to go? Cragen goes, you'll be leaving soon for death row. That was a trick of words that I said. <laughs> That's why he's in charge. That's right. Stabler and Novak are like, that's our cue. And they walk in with the box that Munch and Toots found in the basement. They tell Alan that they had asked Maggie off camera about it. And she told them that she had bought it in Marrakesh. Sorry, we couldn't ship it to Tibet for you. <laughs> I love when they like have something on somebody because they all get really sassy. Mm -hmm. What was in the box? It was Ajani's remains. Mm -hmm. This is why this dude, this scene right here, is why this dude is such a good bad guy. He has this face that has, he's able to have this sociopathic look to him all the time where his face doesn't change expression regardless of the circumstances, mm -hmm. but it's in a way that's scary instead of boring. Like, you know, if somebody doesn't change their facial expression, it could be like, oh my God, this person's a terrible actor. Like they don't, yeah. they're expressionless. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Dude, like, like He's like, like that dude from Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Christoph. That was Waltz. like that first. The first like five minutes where he's in there drinking that milk was fucking terrifying, and he like yes. didn't even fucking. <sighs> it was, yeah. He's so good. Ugh. But yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he doesn't get darty eyed. He doesn't get like intense. Uh, like he does something that it just looks. He doesn't blank, raise his but voice. In a terrifying way. Yeah. yeah. It's so subtle. That's the subtlety of it that makes it so good. Yeah. So Novak tells Alan he's got two choices. He can cooperate and spend his life in prison or he can die by lethal injection. And Alan's like, am I supposed to be intimidated? No one's been executed in New York for 40 years. So I'm really smart. <sighs> Novak's like, cool. Well, you can go ahead and gamble on that. Bye. And Alan goes, wait, okay, I'm going to cooperate. They call him out. You kept some of Ajani's remains to, one, make the Santeria ritual look legit. And two, you didn't want those other parts to be found for that same reason. Mm -hmm. He tells them that he found Ajani through a guy called Bosa, a facilitator. Alan agrees, which is, a, he's a human trafficker. Alan says Bosa greases the wheels so people can ship things internationally. Mm -hmm. Kids, dude. You mean, ki you mean kids. Mm -hmm. Alan says he can get in touch with the guy because he has his phone number. He just used it a week ago to talk to him. Bosa had told him there was a new shipment coming in. Mm. In Cragen's office, he's hanging out. Benny Staves, Munch and Toots, they all pile in with info for daddy on this facilitator. Martin Bosa is currently in the U.S. from Nigeria on a work visa. Interpol has him on their radar for trafficking, drugs, other stuff. He comes and goes about once a month. The number Alan gave them is the number of a working prepaid cell phone. Benson says the only way they can get to Bosa is to pretend to buy a child. Mm. But Cragen's like, that's really cute. I know that you want to wear a tracksuit and go play a role, but he's going to smell cop all over you in Stabes. Totally. She looks at Cragen and goes, he may not suspect someone from his own country. Mm -hmm. <gasps> Ooh, shit. So now we're at 
Freddy's Diner, Kima and Toots pose as Mr. and Mrs. Robinson. They tell Bosa they are looking for a girl to cook, clean, and keep house. Do, 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 Mrs. Robinson. Oh, yeah. Kima says, I can't stand American servants. They steal, they lie, they do not know their place, and my husband's business requires discretion but like how does this guy not know who she is i know you know she's kind of a big fucking deal yeah bosa seems a little suspicious and asks what business toots is in and toots says my business and he's like okay he goes on with the meeting suggesting a younger girl that they can quote train to their liking a five or six year old toots makes the deal bosa gets up and leaves to make arrangements toots says to kima we're blown he tells kima to stay at the diner while he follows bosa outside fucking bosa starts running toots fucking (laughs) this guy is huge by the way toots fucking flying squirrel tackles him like a bear yeah his paws went up (laughs) and he just what took him to the fucking ground toots starts beating the shit out of bosa stabler style and says they're kids you sick son of a bitch yeah kima comes out and she sees it stabler pulls up and stops toots and they arrest bosa bosa's face is fucked up and toots was just wailing giving it to him yeah now we're in the precinct interview room bosa is being questioned by benson stabler benson asks him where the kids are and he will not tell them where they're being hidden He won't work with them. And Stabler says, well, each kid you left to die will be 10 fucking years. Bosa says he doesn't think so. He's going to use Toots beating them up to bargain. He says that it's another African man brutalized by the cops. He doesn't think that their commissioner wants any more bad publicity. Toots and Kima come into the room. Bosa says, you've come to beat me again. I'm not afraid of you. Toots tells him that he should be afraid of Kima. And fucking Bosa's like, what can a woman do? Claw my eyes out and laughs. And I was like, what? <laughs> he even says it like sassy, like claw my eyes out. And then he laughs like a scary bad guy. He's like, huh, huh, huh. yeah. And Kim was like, um, I'm deporting you. Your passport's been revoked. Benson's like, meet bad bitch Nigerian underconsul Kima Mabuda. Booyah. He thinks he's just being sent back, by the way, but she tells him he'll be awaiting his execution in Kirikiri prison. So I dove hard on Kirikiri prison because I get really sucked into the like inside prison shit. Mm-hmm. Kirikiri Max Security Prison is the most popular prison in Nigeria and one of the top nine worst prisons in Africa. Damn. It is one of the most overcrowded and is well known for its mistreatment of inmates, inhumane living conditions, non-existent medical care, and extremely high death rate. Like if you look at images from inside this prison, people are basically sleeping on top of each other. Their capacity, it's less than half of how many people are actually in there right now. It's Mm -hmm. bananas. Yep. And Benson's like, they use firing squads there, don't they? Toot says, if the warden thinks they're being too lenient on you he'll have you tied up to a pole in the hot sun and have the firing squad start from the ankles up mm. ouch and then sailor's like sweet how can we get him on the next plane <laughs> sorry ouch ouch uh bosa looks nervous he looks at kima and says if he tells her what she wants to know and she's like i'll ask for leniency bosa tells him that a truck is arriving tonight now we're in the warehouse yard. A semi-truck pulls in. Officers put on lights and pulled over the whole gang. And the SWAT team is there with guns drawn. And they ask the driver to get the fuck out of the truck and arrest him. They politely say, can you get the <laughs> fuck out of here? Excuse me, sir. <laughs> they open the back and find a ton of scared children. Benson tells them to come forward. And they're there to help them. And they actually are there to help them this time. They can actually help them this time. They can help. Toots carries one child to a car waiting to transport them to a safe place. And tells the woman inside to take good care of of the children because they're a long way from home. Toyota. Toyota. 
You all ready for this? JK. Okay, I'm going to kick this out. We always put the trigger warnings in the notes, okay? But this was one that I was like, just a reminder, the trigger warnings for this. This is really brutal kid stuff, ritualistic murder, mutilation. If it's not your thing, don't do it. All right, on September 21st, 2001, Adrian Minter was on his way to a work meeting in central London. His route took him along Tower Bridge that runs over the River Thames. Minter said this about what he discovered as he looked over the bridge at the water. Quote, the tide was quite high at the time. I thought it was a tailor's mm -hmm. mannequin. Then it came under the bridge, and that's when I saw the detail, the wounds, and the body yeah. itself. Minter immediately called London police, who pulled the body from the river. It was that of a young black boy between four and seven years old, and he was wearing only bright orange shorts. They believe he had been in the river about 10 days. When examined, it was found that his head and limbs had been removed in a way that indicated the mutilator was very experienced, like amputation level mm. removal. Investigators started calling him Adam until they found out his identity. They were like, this is going to be his temporary mm -hmm. name, you know, to humanize mm -hmm. him a little bit. In the medical examiner's lab, more gruesome details were discovered. Adam had died by having his throat oh. slit. His body was then drained of its blood before the removal of his Jesus. limbs. Other than that, Adam had no signs of abuse. He had been a healthy, well-fed child. He also had cough syrup in his system. The initial lead investigators had to go on were the shorts that Adam was wearing. The brand was Kids and & Company, and that specific type were only sold in a handful of stores across Germany. Mm. They found that this particular pair were likely purchased in Hamburg. So there were a couple of motives that police believed could be the case in the death of Adam. Both were ritualistic and had involved trafficking. The first being what is called a Muti killing. These killings are illegal and come from Southern Africa. The word Muti itself is basically medicine, so a Muti killing is not a ritualistic offering, but a process to use these body parts as medicine. Okay. A victim's limbs are removed and made into a medicine by African healers to give luck to those seeking it. In this practice, it's believed that each of us has a finite amount of luck and because children haven't used much in their short lives, they contain a lot more than adults. Jesus. The other thought was that Adam was a human sacrifice and offering to Ocean. They touched on this in the episode as well, okay? Mm -hmm. Oshun is one of the 400 Orisha known and worshipped in religions among the Yoruba people. Yoruba denotes one of the 3,000 plus distinct tribes in Africa. They are mostly concentrated in West Africa, Nigeria, Benin City, and Togo. Oshun is the Orisha of love, beauty, intimacy, fresh water, wealth, and diplomacy. The patron saint, if you will, of the Oshun River in Nigeria. Those who follow Oshun may leave her offerings and perform ceremonies near bodies of fresh water. Remember, human sacrifice has long since been an accepted practice in West Africa. It's actually kind of a smear on their religions at this point. Mm -hmm. In an interview last spring, the Ariona Kakanfo of Yoruba land, Iba Ghani Adams, called ritualistic killings of humans an abomination and sacrilegious. He said, quote, it is not our culture or tradition. It's against the norms of our race. The issue of using human parts Hearts for money-making is against Yoruba practices. It is at variance with our ethos 
of Omoluabi and we should rise against it. I could get sucked into learning about this shit for days. Another thing, this guy's title, the, and I'm probably pronouncing stuff wrong. I'm really trying. Um, the Ariona Kakanfo, that was a war general of the old Oyo Empire, but now it's kind of more of a ceremonial role, which is a, a representer and protector of the Yoruba people. So he's kind of like, like an official, like an overseer, yeah. like a, you know, he's speaking for them. He was put in this position. The depth and history there is fucking endless. Mm -hmm. Back to Adam, though. So it's thought most likely to be a sacrificial killing and offering to Ocean. In April of 2002, detectives went all the way to South Africa and met with former President Nelson Mandela. His voice would amplify much further than any European across Africa. Mm -hmm. Mandela publicly pled for any missing child that fit Adam's age range and had disappeared at that time be reported. They did this, but police are still pretty stuck. So they've got this announcement made by Nelson Mandela. They've got a 50,000 pound reward out for information, but they're getting very little real information in return. Then in July of 2002, a development happens. A woman enters their radar. Social workers had concerns for the safety of these two girls living with their mother, Joyce Osagieri, in Glasgow, Scotland. So they go to Joyce's place. She's an African woman in her early 30s at this time. They found ritualistic objects in her home, and Joyce spoke of cults, killings, and sacrifices. Police also found kids and company clothing in the same size of the shorts that Adam was wearing. Mm. Now, Joyce gave a lot of conflicting accounts of events, people, knowledge of the boy, Police soon realized that she had some psychiatric issues and her inability to give a straight story through a major wrench into her as any type of lead or help. Mm -hmm. Because any information she did give either was conflicting or led to dead ends. Yeah. Then some new technology and forensics gave them more information. So that ME shit that we saw in the episode... That shit's actually true. Tests were done that showed Adam had lived in Africa his entire life, specifically southwest Nigeria near Benin City, Joyce's hometown. So this was like straight what that episode This was is what it's based on. Yeah. They also found pollen samples in his gut that narrowed down his time in the UK to have been between three days and a few weeks. They also found a concoction that verified their speculations of ritualistic killing. In his stomach was a mixture of African river clay, plants, ground bone, and traces of gold and quartz. There was also ash that indicated this mixture had been burned before Adam was made to ingest it. This is apparently a common step in making these mixtures. Hmm. They also believe that the cough medicine they originally found in his system was given to him to help in getting him to swallow everything else that they had put together. Yeah. Okay, they've got this. They don't have time on their side, okay? Joyce isn't particularly legal at this time living in Scotland. And because of this, Scotland officials were like, if you guys aren't going to charge her with something, we're deporting her back to Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And there just wasn't enough. She was soon on a plane back to Nigeria where she vanished. Mm. Not long after her deportation, German police discovered that she had lived in Hamburg, Germany until late 2001. That's where the orange shorts came from. Yeah. And that's where she was living. Okay. Well, when cops had initially arrested Joyce, they took her phone and she had two contacts in her phone. One was Mousa Kamara. In late 2002, police found him in London where they searched his apartment. During their search, police found an animal skull with a nail in it, mixed liquid potions, and a plastic bag that contained crushed bone, sand, and flecks of gold. Very similar to what they found yeah. in Adam's body. They also found a video labeled, quote, rituals, and on it was basically a snuff film of a man being beheaded. Oh, my God. 
And it turns out this dude's name was actually Kingsley Ojo. Ojo claimed the items found belonged to his roommates. Again, there wasn't enough to connect Ojo to Adam, but police kept surveillance on him because it was very obvious that this guy was involved in human trafficking. Mm. By July of 2003, the surveillance led to the arrest of 21 men and women across London, including Ojo. He was sentenced to four and a half years for human trafficking, but the Adam case continued to go unsolved. Police had sent samples of the plants found in Adam's gut to botanist at Kew Gardens in London, and they found some stuff. They found that Adam had been fed two specific plants. One was the Calabar bean, a.k.a. the doomsday plant. This was a common plant used in ceremonies in West Africa. Its purpose is to cause paralysis, but leave a person still able to feel things. Oh, God. The other is the Datura plant or thorn apple, and it's commonly found in South Africa. It's actually found in a lot of places, but also there. It's a poisonous weed that causes sedation and hallucinations. So at this time, Kingsley Ojo is in prison. He contacts police and is like, hey, I want to help you, okay? We've got to do this for this kid. And proceeded to lead them on a wild goose chase, offering up false information and leads. I think it was an attempt to fight deportation because Mm -hmm. he was supposed to be sent back to Nigeria after he was released from prison. But because he was cooperating with investigators, he he stayed in London. Yeah, he was just like buying time. Yeah, he ended up being in London until 2008 when they were like, oh my God, you're full of shit. And they deported him. During that time, that in-between time, Adam was finally laid to rest in December of 2006. A few police officers who had been working the case from its onset attended a service in honor of the little boy. Hmm. Joyce popped up in Nigeria and told police that she had in fact looked after Adam while in Germany. Not only that, but she had purchased the orange shorts found on him that day in the river. I don't know why she would just like pop up and tell them this, but then she disappeared again. The BBC actually tracked down a social worker who knew Joyce in Hamburg. Rhea Mathis confirmed that Joyce was seen on multiple occasions, not only with her two girls, but also with a little boy. In 2011, a photo of a little boy was found in some belongings of Joyce's left behind in Germany. So they tracked her down again, questioned her, and she confirmed that the boy in the photo was Adam and his real name was Ikpamosa. She said she did take care of him, then gave him to a man named Bawa to be taken to the UK. But None of that could be verified. Mm -hmm. So then again, it's just like, I don't know. Where did she get him from? Well, then in 2012, Joyce's brother, Victor, contacted the BBC. Joyce was medicated, living back in Nigeria, and wanted to clear some things up. A BBC interviewer, like a fucking team of them, along with former detective on Adam's case, Nick Chalmers, hopped on a plane, went to fucking Nigeria, and are like, we need to talk to you, Joyce. Mm -hmm. Joyce was like, listen, the boy in the photo is not the boy in the river. The boy in the photo is actually named Danny. He was a child of a friend, and uh, I had just been really confused during this questioning. The interviewer at that time, too, said that she seemed to get confused quite a bit. I mean... It's hard to tell how sinister her actions were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not to give a pass to someone who might be right. fucking trafficking kids, but it seems as if she could have been a person who was also taken advantage of in some way. Yeah. And with that information, the BBC was able to track down and confirm the existence of Danny. Like, met up with him, and Danny's like, holy shit, I didn't know this was even being talked about about me. Hmm. Um, but he's like, yeah, that's a picture of me. So that was cleared up. Also in that interview, Joyce said that when she lived in Germany, she had taken care of another young boy for a few weeks prior to him being trafficked to London by that man named Bawa. That boy's name was Patrick Erebor. This claim could not be verified. Mm. 
Investigators showed her a photo of Kingsley Ojo and asked if she knew who he was. And she goes, yeah, that's Bawa. That was the first time that that connection had been made. Whoa. So the guy that they had deported who had sat in prison for human trafficking was also the guy that she identified as the person who took this boy. Who was like, oh, I want to help you guys, but like was just full yes. of shit. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What the fuck? The BBC ended up reaching out to Ojo as well and was like, hey, we want to talk to you. And he's like, "Uh, no, I've done nothing but try to help. And I'm not talking to anybody or meeting up with anybody. Mm -hmm. So this guy's just like fucking loose as a goose out in Nigeria or wherever he is now. So even with these seemingly clear leads, nothing could tie Ojo to Adam. The case of Adam has gone cold, and with the death of Joyce in 2020, there are seemingly zero connections to aid in ever solving this case. Oh, my God. This is one of those cases for former Detective Nick Chalmers that has stayed with him. In recent years, he said, quote, this was an innocent young child. There are people responsible for his death who haven't been brought to justice. 20 years on, I wish we knew the identity of Adam and his parents. In reality, he's a missing child from a family who probably don't know he's buried here in London. Ugh. Jeez, dude. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing this to me? I can't believe I never heard of this. I know. I'm sorry. Um, Oh, I can tell you why you probably never heard of it. I know I usually can't. But Adrian Minter, who went on to be diagnosed with PTSD and still struggles with being the one to find this boy's mutilated torso in the river, found him on September 21st, 2001, Mm, 10 days after 9-11. This was buried, buried, buried. It was a huge case in Mm. that area. Because 9-11 overshadowed everything. Yeah. Fucking A. I'm hoping that like, because I know that we don't want to have to be patient with it, especially after talking to Chris Pedretti and everything. I'm like, dude, there's going to be something that pops up that makes them be able to solve this case. Some sort of DNA thing or something. Yeah. Because that's the stuff. I mean, stuff kept popping up where they didn't know he was from Nigeria. Like they were able to really pinpoint a really small area that he could be from through technology. Yeah. So hopefully that can be something at some point. Well, that was sad. Okay. Next week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> next week, we have season five, episode 15, Families. A high school student is murdered and the gang thinks she's a victim of incest, maybe. So that's going to be a fucking bummer. <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. Uh, rate and review us. Ooh. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Send us stuff if you want. P.O. Box 176 to Forest, Wisconsin, 53532. Check out our Instagram at SVUPod. Get pod merch and much more at SVUPod.com. Just a reminder, we're doing personalized videos. You can purchase them on there. Mm -hmm. And join the Facebook group, SVUPod Elite Squad. We have a little chat group through there called Walk and Talk. And um, hashtag a little bit loud for indie pods and all that stuff. And join the Patreon. We got tons of content. You'll get to hear us rant. So much great stuff. And rant and rant. <laughs> we're not just angry. We're stupid, too. <laughs> just a couple of dumb stinkers over here. Just a couple of stupid a bitches. Stinkers. <laughs> just stinking it up over on Patreon. That's it. Love, Love you. Bye. bye. So Odafemi gets rightfully fucking hussy at... Hussy? He takes his top off. <laughs> This is where some guy mad about Bud Light tells me, if you don't like it, leave. (laughs) Fuck you, Daryl. You leave. (laughs) Let me open my Garfield book of comebacks and pick one out. (laughs) No, you like lasagna. I don't know what the fuck. (laughs) And to our Elite Squad patrons, Sonia W., Marissa M., Elkie H., 
Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Vanessa, Amy P, Melanie G, Courtney Dubs, Ursula S, Kate H, Uyanga, Kayla J, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Katarina G, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Burr, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, McTack, KCW, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren T, Kaylin B, Camille Z, Nisha G, Maggie D, K. Allen, Katie M, Eliza W, Crystal B, Jessica P, Zana J, Nada M, Sin, Christina D, Madison H, Emily, Oi, what are those sausages ready? <laughs> two minutes. <laughs> two minutes, Turkish. You said two minutes five minutes ago. <laughs> Victoria B, Scout G, Melissa M, Desiree D, Drew B, Quentin S, Amberly C, Louise M, M, Sapphire. Oh, no, you're going to have to do your stupid thing. <laughs> I'm such Don't a Don't say it. You said it super hard, your stupid thing. Um, Louise M, Sapphire, Monica K, Katie S, Trish S. Angela D, Brenna T, Andrea M, Tashi, Andrea H, Miranda B, Al H, and Nikki R. Hey, we really love you guys. Hey. 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 Come here. Hey. Listen up. Oi. I'm going to put my little finger on your chin and lift your head up. Hey, we love you. I'm going to take the back of my hand and I'm going to just stroke one finger along your cheek. Love you. Sure do appreciate you. You're important. Proud of you. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, bye. Okay, bye.